Hello, listeners. And hello, Sean. And hello, Erica. I think that's (laughs) that's how we do it now. Boy, do you know, one of the coolest things about podcasting is when you stop using the free version and you start paying for your, your hosting service, you get all of these incredible statistics. And do you know we have listeners from all around the world? No, I don't, <laughs> the, I don't this know This fascinates that. me endlessly, right? <laughs> so I get that we have – most of our listeners are in Hobart, Australia. That makes perfect sense. We have a fair few people in Melbourne who listen. But there's also a handful of people in the States who listen – I can't imagine why that would be. Do you want to greet someone who's listening, who you know? That's embarrassing. No. Oh, come on. I've said hello to your mum. <laughs> you have. Why don't you say hello to my mum? Hi to Sean's mum. Hello to Erica's mum. <laughs> so we've got people, uh, people also in Turkey. So I, I know people in Turkey who listen and their group listens. We have people in Belgium who listen. I don't know anyone in Belgium. Do you know anyone in Belgium? No. There you go. Hello, those folks in Belgium, people in South Africa who listen. Hello, folks in South Africa who listen. And and in terms of where people come from in their walk of life, obviously we've got lots of people in healthcare who listen, but also there's a bunch of people from education who listen. Hello, education folks. There's people who do humanitarian work that listen. There's there's people in private enterprise who run their own businesses who listen. And somehow the, the stuff that we're talking about is relating to all of these people everywhere. And, and these range from kids who listen to working-aged adults to young adults to retired folk. It strikes me that the stuff that we talk about, the stuff that people are going through is universal. We are all part of one great big family that's all kind of mixed up together in this COVID thing. Isn't that so interesting? Because I think when we started, we really thought this was going to be... I don't know what you thought. I thought maybe there were going to be four people in the hospital who listened. I hope for four and and a half, (laughs) rounding up to five. It's going to be relevant to them. But it's fascinating to me that this is is just universally relevant. Absolutely. But isn't that wonderful? Yes. In that we are not alone and that nobody, anyone listening right now, you are not alone in this. And if the stuff that the two of us are talking about resonates with you as a listener at home or in the gym or on the road or in the car or in the yard or wherever the heck boy we we are all in this together and it reminds me so I love coaching kids sport because kids are awesome and sport is so much fun before you realize that you have to be very serious about it and I have this endearing image in my head of coaching I think it was Fraser's soccer team when he was, I don't know, this is like under sixes, under sevens, when <laughs> you're trying to get them to pay attention to the ball, but they're just out there having fun running around, you know, <laughs> chasing butterflies and, and kicking weeds. I remember there was this one time when the opposition had the ball and they were running down toward our goal to score and there was like two players on my team engaged. I'm like, where is everyone? And I turned around and looked in the opposite direction. I'm refereeing at the time. And there's this lovely little boy named Lewis. And under one arm, he's got one of his friends. Under the other arm, he's got Fraser. And the three of them are standing arm in arm, looking up at the clouds (laughs) with big grins on their faces because there was a pretty cloud in the sky. And I remember thinking, A, this is fantastic. And this is why I love junior sport because they just don't care. It's all about the camaraderie and the friendship. But I remember after that game saying to them, I'm so glad that you guys are a, a wonderful team and you, you love playing together. But do you know that when we're on the field, every one of you is important. And if any one of you 
gives up or any one of you stops playing soccer, the whole team finds it really hard to do what they do because every one of you is so important on that field. And I feel like we are in a giant game of junior soccer right now. Mm. I wish people would throw their arms around each other and just look at the clouds clouds. and forget what they're actually meant to be doing. But it, it occurs to me that at the moment we have become so hyper aware that everybody in every role has this massive part to play that is totally unique to them. And if they don't do their part, the rest of it all falls over. So we obviously have our nurses who we rabbited on about last week and how tough it is for them, but it's not just our nurses. Our doctors have to do what they do and if they don't do what they do, then everything falls over. If our cleaners don't do what they do, and particularly in the the wonderful way they do it, like our COVID, what do we call that little lockdown ward on First East where we put people who are suspect of having COVID? I don't know, I call it the COVID ward. There you go. People that clean that, after they've cleaned that, they go home because they don't clean anything else and they make sure that they don't take any infection from there to other parts. You know, our food services people, they have to adhere to their strict standards and I just love it when they come in and they smile at the patients and they offer them that cake and cup of tea and it just makes the day. The way they bring that kindness, it's so important. And then even our creditors sitting in the office calling people up to get payments. If they don't do their job, we don't get paid and things stop functioning. Even the lowly pastoral carers, when patients are, we were talking about isolated patients last week, nursing and, and clinical staff haven't been able to do their job when a patient is so distressed that they can't actually function. So for the pastoral carers to be able to come in, calm the patients down, help them feel okay within themselves so that we can actually do the caring work that we need to do. Every one of our roles has just become so crystal clear, the importance of it all. And I shared with you this little story about a cleaner somewhere in Calvary. I can't remember where. The phrase was somebody said to him, what do you do at Calvary? And he says, I save lives. And I said, oh, really? How do you save lives? And he says, I mop the floor of the operating theatres. And if I don't do my job, the next person who comes in for surgery, they're going to get an infection. So I save lives by cleaning the floor of the operating theatre. Isn't that brilliant? I love that. I love that because that it's being part of and connecting to that purpose mm. that makes it all worth it. And that's one thing for us here in a hospital. We have this very cleared sense of shared purpose because we all come to work to make people well. But what about in the wider community? You know, in the wider community, it's been abundantly clear that the actions of one person make all the difference for the group. You know, the, And I think the thing that's just irked me so much more than most other things is that story from a couple of weeks or a few weeks ago where those young women who were going from from city to city, you know, to steal high-end handbags and sell them elsewhere. I missed that. Ah, They were in Brisbane and they lied through their quarantine process and they'd just come from Melbourne, from the hotspot in Melbourne into Brisbane. They lied through their teeth and then they didn't quarantine. They went out. And they made this cluster in you know, in the suburbs in Brisbane that I used to live in, the shopping centres that I used to go to, all these people started getting sick because you know, they, they ate at a Vietnamese restaurant that day at lunch when one of these women was sitting at the table beside them. You know, it's when our whole society is at the mercy of every single individual and we just have to rely on each other to do the right thing. We're all in this together. It matters, right? Those are the actions and the little moments, the choices that we have day to day that often we don't even think about how they're going to impact the people around us, but it all matters. Mm. So then the question is, how do we bring the best 
version of ourselves and each other out at a time like this to, to ensure that as a society, as a group, we are doing the right thing and, and we are you know, making the most of this opportunity to care for each other. And it's one thing for us working here in a hospital that on our lanyards and our name tags, it, it's got our values because we are a values-based organisation. So we can come in here and say, this is what we value, this is what we do. But what about people that don't live in a or work in a place that's got this kind of unified goal and vision in the great wide world out there erica where everyone's suffering and everyone's trying to do this together how do we inspire each other to be our best how do we inspire people to live their values yeah that is my question please proceed (laughs) (laughs) it's such a good question i'm inclined to say that it's those little moments It's those moments of connection. It's those moments of being able to make somebody else smile or to bring joy because that then instills such joy in us. It's about eliciting that joy in the people around us and not just that joy but that sense of community and connectedness because when I feel connected to another person, I'm going to want to do the right thing to help them. But when I feel isolated from them, then I don't care about them and I'm not going to sanitise my hands before I touch that door handle and stuff them. What do I care if they get sick? Whereas if I know them and like them and care about them, then I'm more likely to do that pro-social behaviour to actually look after each other. Yeah, the age-old question of how do we encourage pro-social behaviour? Maybe the only way we encourage it is by doing it ourselves. So it got me thinking, what can I do? What little things can I do to make sure that I'm being my best and making life as easy as I can for the people around me so that they've got enough emotional reserve left to be their best selves. You know, I think through my work, little things like taking the time to check in on people. Um, If someone refers a patient to me after I've seen that patient, make sure that I don't just leave some notes in the electronic chart, but making sure that I go back and I debrief that nurse on what's happened with that patient so that that nurse can continue to do their work with the greatest of ease because I've contributed to that. Or outside of work, you know, how do I be my best self as a dad and have that extra little bit of energy and kindness um, after a difficult day at school for my child who's at the back of their mind thinking, oh no, lockdown's going to happen and I'm going to have to be at home and do that Zoom schooling again and that's going to be awful. And we're all living with this, this sense of trepidation about what's going to come. So to remember that and to be as kind as I possibly can after dealing with all my own stuff that I'm having to go through. What's the quote? And I don't remember. Is it Gandhi who said, be the change you want to see in the world? Mm. I had shoes that that was printed all over. Shoes? Yeah. said, be the change you wish to see in the world. They started a lot of conversations. People go, I don't know how to make the world a better place. I said, read my shoes. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And do those little things in whatever context you find them. This morning I was, I was walking out of the hospital down to the office and there was this dude pushing a trolley with all of these different containers stacked up. He must have been from a medical company bringing some samples of something to... I don't know, it, was, it had a medical logo. But he was struggling trying to come up that hill because it's quite an angle. And I watched him and I said, boy, you're making using a shopping trolley look really easy right now. And he goes... Oh, you got that right. Oh, I'm trying to get some practice for Christmas shopping. <laughs> I said, we can never get too much practice for Christmas shopping. And we both had this lovely laugh and this lovely chuckle. And I thought, it just takes 
stopping for half a second and saying something to that person just to engage them and give them a lift so that when he walks to the front door and has to line up to get his temperature checked, he'll have that little bit more patience to be kind to that person. How about you, Erica? What are the little things that you can do that make a difference? I like to think that it matters those, you know, as I always say, the little moments with kids, you know, you talk about learning from and watching them interact with the world. Yeah. Taking the moment to look at the clouds. I, I feel like if I can just set the example and show them that those those interactions all matter. So I have a story where I took Addie, who's my little one. It would have been, I don't know, maybe six months ago, maybe even a little bit more. We went out to brunch and it was a really nice you know, when going out to a cafe didn't feel <laughs> scary, right? right? Maybe it was longer than six months. <laughs> I don't know. And we walk into this cafe and there was a table of four young adults, I don't know, maybe early 20s. And one of them had, I mean, it was hard not to look. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of pass those people and like blue hair and a gorgeous crown and a glittery dress. And I think the lipstick might have been blue or green also. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, feathers, and it was the whole shebang. Wow. And as a five-year-old, like, that's going to be. And she just, this was a princess. Like, this was <laughs> So Addie actually chose a seat in the cafe so she could sit and look at this princess. And yep. she clearly knew she was being looked at because, I guess, when you go out and <laughs> glitter and feathers and blue You hope there's going to be a little girl yeah. who wants oh, to sit and watch it you. It was awesome. Yep. It was awesome. And I had to get over my initial discomfort of don't stare. Yep. And then, I, you know, you embrace it because she, Addie was just loving it. And I said, why don't you, why don't you tell her, you know, tell her that you, tell her that you like her crown, ask if you can see it, you know, and there were some sideways glances and Addie was a little bit shy and it was, it was beautiful. Um, And I said, well, we can go home and we can make that crown. And, and as we were on our way out and I said to Ads, Hey, why don't we, why don't we buy their lunch? And Addie had this like wide-eyed moment. And so we paid for their lunch. And I said to the waitress, please, please don't say anything. You know, not until we're out. Not until. And so we left. And I, of course, had that inner glow that comes with like having done something really (laughs) wonderful. It was so good. It felt so good. And I rode that wave easily for the rest of the day. But this is a cafe that we go to pretty frequently. And we went back in, it would have been maybe a week later. And there was an envelope waiting for Addie at the counter. And the guy behind the counter was like, oh, I have something for you and handed it. And I handed it to Addie knowing that it was full well. And there was a little container of glitter in there. (laughs) And this beautiful (laughs) note that essentially said, thank you so much for your kindness. And we are going to pay it forwards. I get chills just thinking about it. And then went on to say, you know, go crazy with this glitter, not in your mom's car. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) wonderful princess, for that (laughs) sage advice. Yeah, Yeah. but those those moments, I think, perpetuate just the good in the world Mm. and and making somebody want to, I don't think you like the expression, pay it forwards, but I have no association with it, and so I like I was broken by the movie, which I just thought was (laughs) terrible. I haven't seen the movie. Good, keep it that way. But I like that concept of, Mm. you know, it's like passing a baton. Mm. You know, somebody hands you this baton of joy Mm. and we don't hold it. You know, you get to enjoy and live it briefly and then you and then you pass it on. And it almost feels more important right now because whoever we hand that baton to forward, Mm. they are going through the same stuff we're going through. There's like the shared experience at the moment between everyone everyone listening between you and I between everyone on the globe at the moment and so there's the sense that 
whatever we can do to pass that forward, whatever we can do to build each other up, to be kind to each other, is going to make a real difference because we need everybody, everybody, even the weakest link in our chain, yeah. to be on board with this if we're going to make it through the other side. Something struck me that this is nothing new. The way we build each other up and how good that is for our communities for thousands and thousands of years. And I was struck by this, this little verse that I read you know, St. Paul writes this letter to this new community in this part of the world far away called Ephesus. And um, the verse says, As each part of a body, or in this case a community, does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and building itself up in unselfish love. And I thought, man, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that each part of this body, each part of this community can do its work and build each other up in that in that kindness, in that joy, in that love. And I think that's how we're going to get through this. We're all in it together, like a giant big Rube Goldberg machine. How good is the Rube Goldberg machine and the Honda Accord ad? It's so good. If you, as you're listening, you haven't looked up the Rube Goldberg machine and the Honda Accord advertisement, go and treat yourself. You know the Rube Goldberg machine. How do you describe a Rube Goldberg machine? I feel like you shouldn't describe it. Just okay. Because, no offense, but you can't do it justice. There's no that's, that's way. That's like a personal challenge. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Okay. Don't do it. Just they should go watch it. It's minutes and it's... It's real, sublime. Yeah, it's great. And it's the perfect analogy that we are all in this together. And we're all a part of this incredibly large family, this incredibly large machine that's trying to make it through this tricky time. So good luck, folks, as you work out what it is that you're going to do to pay it forward, to show that kindness and to make that difference so that even the weakest links in our chain get to be part of the solution. 